Jenny Green for entertaining us this afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 19th of January, and this is Game On. Coming up today, Bernard Jackman and the Irish Six Nations squad as the pundits start to rate our prospects. Uh, just that the whole front five, I know it's not one player, but the, that whole front five for me, for Ireland, is really, really exciting. If we can keep them all fit, um, like they're, they're the base, they're the foundation that starts everything good for Ireland. In soccer, the Republic of Ireland's Louise Quinn joins us as the Tala Tigers aim to build on last year's momentum. The two Quins in there. Nifahi makes a move. Oh! Louise Quinn. Fabulous goal. Ireland lead 3-2 against the Australians. And Louise Quinn scores her 12th goal for her country. Plus, we have Premier League team news, the latest from the African Cup of Nations, and Paul Corey will tell us where it's all going wrong at Chelsea. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. Now, welcome along. It is rugby squad announcement today ahead of the Six Nations. Bernard Jackman is with me in the studio. So Andy Farrell has included uncapped backs Michael Lowry and Matt Hansen in his 37-man Ireland squad for those Six Nations games. Bernard, your reaction to the squad, first of all? I think it's a really nice squad. It's it's very exciting, um, particularly anyone who watched Ulster at the weekend against Northampton. I have been watching Ulster um, over the last couple of uh, weeks in particular. Michael Lowry's just in uh, a standing form obviously he's on captain and you know uh, Hugo Keenan is certainly going to be first choice full back but just having someone of Lowry's game changing ability um, and the way he plays is so exciting I think that's brilliant Balatloon again is, looks the complete footballer um, we know he's got a lot of pace and power and you know James Hume as well so the, probably the three Ulster players um, are probably the most surprising or new faces um, in the squad but certainly should be looking to get some game time um, the big omission is, is James Lowe but we know he has a muscle injury and it's only a couple of weeks so certainly I would expect him to come back into the squad once he's fit and he would give us the left footing kicking option that the current squad uh, don't seem to have which has been a big part of, of Andy Farrell's um, focus just taking the pressure off the Sexton Murray axis in terms of the kicking game so um, and also Mac Hansen from, from a corner point of view um, is rewarded he got to spend a week with them I think in November um, he's had a little injury but anytime he's played for Connacht he looks really exciting so um, yeah it's it's great and obviously look at Ireland played well in November played a really good band of rugby played successful rugby and I just think it's great to see Farrell um, not being afraid to throw the guys I've already mentioned in but also Keen Prendergast who's got in as a development player another Connacht lad who's who's really done well and um, yeah I heard Jamie talk about the front five yeah we know we know we're very strong there and they will be absolutely key to uh, having a successful tournament it certainly inspires confidence when you do scan it because there are so many fit and available names and as you said it has that mix then of exciting newcomers as well but the fact that we're coming into the Six Nations and we've had a good autumn series it does feel like the pressure is off a little bit in terms of um, Andy Farrell's role and also the team itself like they, they don't they're not going to be standing up in front of the media um, over the next couple of weeks answering questions about their game plan or where they're going we know a little bit more about the identity of this team. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's something the Farrell has tried to build is is that identity. Um 
and particularly in terms of style of play that's there now there will be issues with that the teams will shut it down and we'll have to adapt and find ways to, to overcome that but I agree with you I think this no matter unless things go disastrously wrong which I can't see them because it's a very competitive team I think we'll be very competitive in the Six Nations I think everyone understands that it's probably the strongest Six Nations in terms of depth than there has been for a long time and obviously we have England and France um, away so it's, it's traditionally the, a difficult year for us to, to do anything special um, but I think if they continue to to play that brand of rugby um, the public and the fans will, will get behind them and stay behind them and that's that's probably more important for us than just being focused on getting a result to get the public off your back The schedule has been pretty light for the um, Ireland players over the last while because of Covid and postponements we spoke about it a little bit before the Leinster game, Bernard, um, myself and yourself, about going into um, that Montpellier game and not having a huge amount of rugby played in comparison to other years. Is that any bit of a concern that they mightn't have been out as much as they would have been in the past? Look, I think it was really important that, um, that Leinster got to play last week and this week because you know we saw in November that when Ireland picked their first-choice team, it's very much underpinned by, by Leinster players. Um I saw a graph today comparing the game time for the Irish squad compared to the English squad um, over the last seven or eight weeks and, and we're miles behind. But having said that, I do think those two games um, should be enough. And, and I would actually flip it around and say they're going to be very fresh. You know, ordinarily you have big Irish derbies, you have uh, more intense European games. Um, you know, the, the, the minutes, the overall minutes played has been quite low, but yet they're getting games at the right time just before... Um, the tournament starts and I believe they're going to Portugal on Thursday uh, for a training camp so no one in this squad will play next weekend uh, for their provinces so um, yeah it's uh, I, I think it's actually okay I would have been worried if there was if the, if last week's round or this week's round of Europe suffered but I think we're just about alright Well we have heard as well in the past players talking about the benefits of the break not just from a physical point of view but a mental point of view and we played clips from Andrew Porter last week and we've heard Johnny Sexton on several occasions um, talking about him having that extended break and what it has done from his, for him mentally so just even having Johnny Sexton in that situation heading into a Six Nations which look we don't know what's coming down the track for Johnny Sexton but every Six Nations now that we get out of him is a bonus yeah, and he's he's the key man for for Ireland, um, and yeah, it's about him playing the big games. You saw last week, Leinster knew um, they weren't going to be troubled by Montpellier. He was on the bench just to come on and get get twenty minutes. I'd imagine he'd play this week in 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 Bath, but I I think it's it's definitely a positive for likes of him. We heard Andrew Porter just said talk about it, and it's that mental wear and tear, that grind of week on weeks games. Um, analysis, previews, reviews, and and even though obviously there's been a lot of COVID in um, in the Munster and Leinster camp in particular, and and fellas players' training schedule would have been put out a little bit. I still think they've had the opportunity to get back, get quality gym work in, get quality technique work in, and I think they're going to be you know really fresh and and hopefully that leads to some really good performances. Well, the big debate that has been raging for the last little while and certainly um, today when the squad was announced was who is going to be that backup 10. Jamie Heaslip and Alan Quillen were speaking about it a little bit earlier on today at the launch of the Orsi Virgin Media shared Six Nations coverage. Let's hear what they had to say. I think it has to be Jack Carty at this stage because I think his form has been, been exceptional. Obviously, what happened at the World Cup, there was a bit of a hangover there and and probably his performances, it affected his confidence and, and um, ability as well. So 
with Joey Carberry out, I think, um, you know, there's obviously, it's obviously a real pivotal position. And I just think the way he's played in the last few months um, has been really, really exciting. I think he's he's grown his game, um, has more control to his game and uh, looks to have his confidence and and that bit of excitement that you need back. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I think um, Johnny Sexton is, is not giving up the jersey and I think we saw in November how outstanding his performances were and how important he still is to this team. Well, on that, is there still Sexton and the rest for you? Is there still a big gap there, Jamie? Uh, yeah, 100%. He's head and shoulders above everyone else. Uh, I'd actually disagree regarding Jack Carty. Um, well, sorry, I wouldn't disagree. I think he's got to take the opportunity as a bit of a last chance saloon for him, I think, if he gets the chance at Ireland. And um, there's a lot of other guys sniffing around. But yeah, for me, you know, Johnny's the GOAT. He's um, he's not going anywhere. He's he's the Tom Brady of uh, of the RFU right now, I suppose. And um, everyone, he's not going to give up that jersey. And, and he's, I think he's simply head and shoulders. And everyone's I, got I to step I think Ross up. Bourne is someone who's another candidate that's, that yeah. needs to be mentioned. I think he's rock solid every time he's he plays for Leinster. overlooked at Irish level. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, he's he's going to be in the mix, but I just think there'll be an argument to try and the, that bit of spark that Carty brings. I think you get real unbelievable control, and I'm a big fan of Ross Bourne as well. But I just think it's hard to ignore Jack Carty, and I think you know he, as Jamie's saying, it is. I wouldn't say last chance saloon, but definitely he he has to take this opportunity if he gets in amongst the squad. He may not start, but just how he performs in training and what he brings and, and he, he, how he'll impress the coaches there. I think it's a great opportunity for him. So that was Jamie Heaslip and Alan Quillen speaking a little bit earlier. It was announced today that Orti and Virgin Media Television have came together in a historic partnership to bring all of the 2022 Six Nations rugby action free to air for Irish sports fans. So coverage will include all of the matches from the men's, women's and under 20 tournaments, starting with the Ireland under 20s at home to Wales on the 4th of February. And this partnership is going to see all matches in the Six Nations equally aired across both broadcasters. It is very important important for eyeballs to be on the game of rugby in my opinion but Bernard who do you think they will be seeing if they're watching Ireland play and Johnny Sexton isn't in the number 10 that'd be Carty at the moment I just think Carberry obviously hasn't had to play I, I would disagree that it's his last chance and I don't think there's a uh, a load of guys um, uh, pushing to get in. I think Carty on form has been uh, uh, outstanding. You know, we know what Joey can do. Obviously, he's been injured, um, and I would agree. Ross Byrne could absolutely do a job, but I, I just think um, if Johnny was out at the moment, it'd have to be Jack Carty. And, and I, I don't think he's done a bad job in an Irish jersey. I think he was uh, harshly um, the fall guy for the loss in Japan, and what he's done since then has, has been rebuild his name, rebuild his reputation. And yeah, I'd love to see him get a crack if if anything happened to Johnny. There is a lot of depth across the squad, but like we know with the way the game is played at the moment, that after any given weekend, there could be a void that needs to be filled in a certain area. Where would you think that um, Andy Farrell will have concerns when he looks at his squad? Um, I think it's it's probably around a half. Well, I don't think he has any concerns in terms of depth. I think there's a lot of depth in Irish rugby. I think what's going to be fascinating is the battle for nine. Um, so, you know, we we learned that Conor Murray signed a new two-year central contract, right? So, um, generally what Ireland do is they only give one player in each position a central contract. So, in the November, Gibson Park was the number one um, number one nine. Gibson Park would seem, or Craig Casey would seem to have the type of game uh, the, the skill set to suit the type of game Farrell wants to play so it's just going to be really interesting what happens with Murray can he find 
the form can he find that type of tempo game that would make him number one um, and if not is is he worth having on the bench because he, as I said he, his skill set is a different type of game it's more of a kicking game which Munster and, and Ireland under Joe Schmidt played so for me that's the big one I think at hooker um, the special positions come off I just talked about Tim we spoke about the other one is, is hooker and I think the emergence of Dan Sheen as a contender and pushing um, obviously uh, Ronan Kelleher but also in fairness um, the form uh, the form of Herring as well has been really good so we're really strong in those special positions and everyone else can 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 mix and match um, to a certain extent for example Tyburn can play second row or, or, or back row we've got really good flexibility across that uh, across most other positions so I think we're in a in a really good place and obviously outside this squad there's, there's good depth as well so um yeah, it's 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 definitely exciting. But have I said I like as I said earlier, France look really strong. Scotland have the best squad they've put together in a long time. England are rebuilding, and it's only really Wales who who look to be in a really bad place. Six hundred seventy caps out injured. Um, the regions probably performing worse than they ever have. Uh, so, uh, but yet they're the they're the uh, current champions. So um, it's going to be really exciting to see how it unfolds. So what you're saying is, when it comes to Wales, the form book is out the window, Bernard, is it? Well, it has. I mean, no one thought they had a. They had a very poor uh, 2020 um, in COVID. There was big calls for Wayne Pivac to get get sacked, and I don't remember, but I think they had three red cards in their in their in their games last year, and they got a little bit of momentum. Or red cards for the opposition, they got a little bit of momentum, and you know they end up winning winning the competition. But having said that, since then they had a very poor November, um, and as I said, there's so much experience out at the moment and there's such a lack of I suppose belief in the in the regional game in Wales I think Pivac would be a miracle man if he could get another trophy out of this squad What about England? So Eddie Farrell was out facing the media and as always looked lots of questions about his uh, squad selection and his captaincy selection as well so Owen Farrell he reckons is still the best candidate to lead England into the Six Nations despite his lack of game time yeah, it's um, it's huge, and, and uh, George Ford has never been playing as well, and he couldn't uh, find a way into the squad. So uh, Eddie's definitely being loyal to to Farrell. And look, Farrell is is, is top end. I just saw some stats around uh, Eddie Jones's reign. He's picked 178 players in squads uh, since he took charge in in 2016. Um, and there's only 10 of the match day 23 that finished in last season Six Nations in Dublin um, or sorry 10 haven't returned so Maka Vunapola Mark Wilson Vidi Vunapola uh, George Ford etc so he is very much in that cycle of I need to make changes now to be ready for the World Cup in France and um, it, it's 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 a very uh, dangerous approach but he has got a, a lot of quality um, and he's done it before he's done it uh, bring, bring, being a part of a South African team who went to the World Cup final being part of an Australian team being, went to the World Cup final England going to the World Cup final and, and two cycles I think with Japan so he knows that World Cup cycle um, but yeah if George Ford can make a, a squad given the Ruby's playing at the moment um, they must be very strong well, six uncapped players. Um, be interesting to see who does come through out of them. He usually tends to bring somebody through. Um, right, I'm going to park the Six Nations for now. We'll be building up over the next few weeks. But I just want to put something to you, Bernard, about Munster Rugby. So Stephen Larkham was up in front of the media today. There's been quite a lot of criticism and... Look, criticism might be a bit of a strong word. There's been a lot of analysis and comment on the type of game plan they're 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 
trying to to um, use anyway. And you were one of the people who wrote about it uh, last weekend. Um, you called for people just to look at the bigger picture they're getting some results but what really uh, where really are they when you look at their overall um, situation and you made the point as well they look a bit more comfortable without the ball than on it so you weren't the only one lots of other people have had opinions on where Munster are at right now so Larkham defended Munster's attacking game plan and he said that the criticism of his side's tactics is quite wide of the mark what are your thoughts, Bernard? Yeah, sorry, I told <laughs> you're thinking. Uh, you're putting it together. I was trying to think. No, I, um, yeah. Look at I, I. I take no um, enjoyment out of uh, criticizing Munster, and it, and and a lot of people feel well, they're winning games, isn't that what it's all about? Um, but my point was, looking at the content of their performances, uh, you couldn't say now that they have the game plan or game style to go win trophies in May. Or, uh, or June, and that's where I see Munster. I mean, Munster are, are historically were one of the uh, the most successful teams in Europe, and but they haven't won trophies in the last decade. And I think you have to basically question that because they have the budget, they have the players, they have the fan base. Um, that's where you sh- we should be gauging, not beating a, a second or third string cast who have no interest in the competition in the last minute. Um, so that's that's where that came from, and also Munster themselves realised that they needed to evolve because that's why they went out and spent a lot of money bringing in Stephen Arkham uh, who was going to revolutionise their attack because they admitted themselves that the old way they were playing wasn't good enough when it came to semi-finals or finals so has anyone really seen that transition happen? I mean uh, you know Stephen was very strong today and that's his prerogative um, and he said uh, it's misguided but the statistics uh, whatever about perception the statistics show Munster kicked the ball uh, more than everyone else so you know he's that that that, that was the point he said on oh, look it's not just justified um and i think you could see obviously that they try they tried to play a little bit more against cast but because it's something they haven't done on a consistent basis or don't seem to have the confidence to do it um it led to errors and then they went back into their shell so um can they fix it absolutely i mean um they have the coaching staff they have the players they have the talent and that's why that's why i think we are being uh, questioning it because they have the everything in their locker to be able to play a better brand of rugby, which they'll have to do when they play against better teams. And I mean, you know, Johan van Graan in his interview, uh, well, he wasn't interviewed, but what he said to Victor Matfield that's come out through the route of the South African uh, press was, you know, he wanted to play the power game, but unfortunately injuries to Snyman and Jenkins meant he can't do that. Well, where's the plan B? Um, they're still trying to play the power game without the tools to do it. So, um, look at it. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if Munster do evolve or or will the game they're playing at the moment lead them to trophies? They'll just do it a little bit better and they'll take other teams out of out of their stride. But I, the way I see Munster is, they should be judged on winning trophies. And at the moment, I don't think they have a plan B um, or their plan A is good enough to do that. Okay, that's fair enough as well. Uh, just before we finish up, Bernard, since we're talking about Munster, we've got a few texts in about the Ireland squad and one of them is, um, can I please ask you, do you think that it's right that Simon Zebo has been uh, not included? Yeah, I, 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 I can see why he's not included. He just hasn't had a, a run of games. Obviously, he was one of the players who was stranded in South Africa. He came back um, and he got sent off after 15 minutes against Ulster. He escaped the ban, but Munster didn't use him last week in France. So, while I could see why he would be useful, obviously, particularly as a left footer, particularly when you look back at how he started the season, 
unfortunately just had no momentum so um, probably the, the former Balotelune <coughs> the former Lowry has, has forced him out Okay, well, Bernard Jackman, thank you so much for that. We will also be building up to the Champions Cup Games um, a little bit later in the week and continuing our build-up as well to the Six Nations. It's time for a break now and then we're back with Louise Quinn. Game on on 2FM with Green Farm. Being up to 90 isn't real. The protein in our range is get real. Now, welcome back. I am delighted to say that Shane Dawson of RT Sport is with me in studio alongside Paul Corrie. And now we are going to chat to Republic of Ireland footballer Louise Quinn. Louise, how are you? I haven't talked to you in a while. How's life? Hi, Marie. How's things? Yeah, not, you know, not too bad now. Um, settling back in after after Christmas and just, yeah, getting, getting ready for the second half of the season. The last time you were on with me, you were here in studio and you were in the midst of looking for a club and just trying to figure out what the future would hold for you. And you ended up then going on to Birmingham. Um, probably, um, it was probably in the pipeline back then, but like, how's it been for you, Louise? I know it's probably quite difficult, you know, when you're going from, okay, you were in Italy, but you'd been playing with a team like Arsenal who were um, constantly contesting for honours at the very top level to go to a team like Birmingham and, you know, you're fighting a different battle. Yeah, listen, it is. It's, it's, it's definitely different um, and brings a, you know, has to bring out a different sort of aspect and, and you know, way that I play, but I do. I'm, I am just loving the challenges and the different ways that I have to try. You know, ad- adapt my game. But to be honest, it's you know, it's, it's obviously we are you know more defensive and 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 that suits me. I am an out and out defender. Um, so you know, I think obviously the biggest adaptation was probably changing to how Arsenal play. To be honest, um, and now obviously having this where we're kind of yeah, you know, we have a we have a lot of defending to do. Um, you know, for me, it, it can be it can be quite enjoyable. Um, although obviously we're not, you know, some of the results haven't been going our way. But um, you know, I'm I'm loving the challenge and I'm loving kind of playing back in England. Yeah, well, you certainly seem to be really enjoying it. Anytime I see you, you're you're doing what you do best, which is defending really well and, and getting up to the other end of the the pitch as well, and and getting your head on the odd ball and sticking it into the net. I know, and actually, so far I've only kind of put them in with my feet, which. Um, which never happens. Um, I suppose it was one of those little challenges I set myself at the start of the season. Um, and so I have two goals and, and, you know, both at my feet, which is, yeah, it, which is a bit unheard of. I got a few texts about it as well, being like, what's, what's going on? What's happening here? But, um, yeah, so it's, it's something, you know, I want to, I want to be effective in, in both boxes, you know, defensively and, and attackingly. So, um, you know, for us as well, set pieces are extremely important. So, any way that I can kind of add to the team in that way is 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 very important to me. Well, there you go. I thought all your goals were were going to come from from the head. So I know. Then, see, that's what you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> judging you there, Louise, before you'd even uh, got a chance to tell me about them. But it just shows, though, as well. Like you, you can add that dimension to your game and the fact that you set that goal to 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 switch it from you know the the trademark mark headed goal to um, add something to your locker and and especially you know as you are kind of advancing to be able to do that is pretty impressive. Yeah, I just think it was something that I was just kind of thinking about. Obviously, you're always kind of looking to, I'm always looking to get my head on the end of this. But then it was very just reacting to second balls. 
that was actually something. Sometimes you just kind of stand and wait, maybe see if a second ball comes in again for your head. But you know, it's been it's been falling to the feet now this time. I've been I've been reacting. I think a bit better. So just being yeah, a little bit more aware of it. And as I said, yeah, I've I've definitely surprised um, you know a few people. And and um, but they've been for me. It's obviously just making sure that I'm you know adding adding to the results. And obviously, hopefully, we can you know kick on and and you know, getting a few more three points under the belt. Absolutely. And when you think about that as well, Louise, I know you're doing your UA for B licence. To The fact that you can almost coach yourself to do that as well just shows that when you are in that situation, when you are a coach, that you're you're learning all the time while you're playing and taking things that on board that you will be able to impart to other people in the future. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just think it's all experience. I'm definitely... You know, I'm 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 no coach just yet. Um, I do like to talk on the pitch and stuff like that, but I definitely, you know, I haven't got that coach's hat on just, you know, just yet. But it's something that I'm, you know, I'm learning and picking up each time. And, and I do feel like I can talk to some of the younger girls on the team and just kind of, you know, maybe ex- maybe try explain what what can be good or what works for me. You know, see if it works for you or find out what works for you. Um, you know, and, and to not get frustrated if you try something for the first time and it doesn't work. It's about, yeah, it's just about completely adapting it to what suits you and, and figuring out your, your best qualities. Is that the plan when you do finish up, Louise, to, to go into coaching? Is that a road you would like to, to go down? Um, it's something, you know, that I'll that I'll think about. I'm not sure if it is, you know, top of my list. It's uh it's something though that I, you know, I, I think I, I can see it while I'm on the pitch, but I haven't had that experience on the sideline of the pitch watching the game from a different ang- different angle and trying to, you know, assess a game. Um, I think I do kind of, you know, find find that far more different and and uh, and difficult. But for me, obviously, having you know getting my way to be, I think it just opened so many doors for me in terms of, you know, wanting to work in the sport. You know, in the sports industry, um, you know, if it be development or, you know, on the on the media side or or in coaching, um, you know, because yeah, there's obviously been a few people who kind of asked me that as well, and yeah, you know, so and saying that I do, I you know, I have some of the the qualities for us, but you know, we'll we'll see kind of how that goes. I'm I'm very happy still to be putting the boots on and and still getting on the on the pitch to be honest. It's quite interesting when I spoke to you like a long time ago when you were just starting out in your career and we were talking about pathways and how difficult it was for young women uh, who wanted to be professional soccer players to find that road, you know, just even trying to figure out how to get your videotapes to the right people, like the lack of agents in the women's game. And, you know, we've seen the side, that side of the game develop now over the last decade or so that girls who want to go on and have careers in professional football there are pathways there but if you want to be a coach Louise do you think that there are pathways there for women now who want to follow that path yeah I I think so I think the you know the game is also just screaming out for for female coaches and now there there are a lot more um, obviously that you can you can apply and, and get you know get all your coaching badges and then they've actually made a female only one as well which I think just kind of makes sometimes the you know that environment a little bit easier to kind of be around maybe people you've you've worked with before or even played with and and to kind of gain gain that experience and you know I think all those avenues are opening up and and the FAI have have really kind of tried to push that and 
you know, are and are also trying to, you know, really offer it to to players as well. Um, just because obviously there's, you know, there's so much about the game. So there's a lot of the girls then that have kind of taken that on. Um, and and Birmingham have just got offered the you know the the same thing. So for me, it, it is it's so important. And and I think even now you see in in the women's game and and in the WSL there are a lot of um, there are now more female coaches. Um, and and it's I think it is just so important for the game. Um, you know, obviously when you're in a team, you just you want the best person for the job. But again, that could be and and a manager that suits you. For me, if that's male or female, I I don't mind. Um, but I think to have that mix and that balance, um, you know, of what I can bring, and I think it it adds so much to a to a squad to have to have the mix of range in a you know in in a in a staff um, environment. So for me, it's, yeah, it adds so much, and, and there's definitely opportunities there. Yeah, and it, it does all come back around to the can't see, can't be tagline as well because, you know, you look at Emma Hayes there and she is getting quite a lot of attention and rightly so and the fact that she's got all that visibility definitely helps and likewise then Vera Pau too, you know, over here um, we see so much of her, we hear so much of her and that's what we want, you know, we want to see women in these positions as well doing a good job and obviously winning games is the most important thing and, and developing the team but even just that um, just that little bit of visibility I think goes an awful long way yeah massively you know and obviously now we're really kicking on and, and what Vera has done and obviously then Eileen Gleeson was a part of that as well and then she's she's obviously now got the, the head coach role at, at Glasgow City again which is which is a fantastic job and then Tom Elms has, has come in with us so again that's that balance of you know the experience that they then have it's still you know Ilo leaving it hasn't taken away from the squad you know it's it's something that she's done and we can still build on that and then Tom has lots of experience as well but yeah you know you, and obviously now Emma Hayes you know even winning coach of the year as well mm-hmm. you know what she has done and, and you just hear players speak of her um, you know, I think sometimes when you're playing against her, she can be she can be a bit of a character, and and you know you don't really know much much about her. But I think when you play for her, um, you know everyone is it's it's only full of praise, and I think she can be you know really she thinks about the person as well, um, you know, and what they may need to develop the best that they can. Um, so you know it's 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 so it's so visible now as well, and Serena Vigman, who's now the the England manager as well. She was also nominated for Coach of the Year. So again, it's just bringing you know power to the to the female coaches. Yeah, the game the game definitely needs characters. I love when there's uh you know you might not always like them, but still it's good to at least feel something about them anyway. Uh, so what about you guys yeah. then with with um, Ireland, Louise? When when do you get back together? Have you got camps planned? What's the schedule like for the next little while? Uh, yeah, so we do. We have um, we have camps planned um, for mid to end of February. Um, so we'll hopefully get uh, at least a couple of friendly games in there, and which is then going to lead into our uh, qualifier um, in Sweden uh, in April. So you know we'll we'll definitely be able to get a good bit of work done. You know, come when we get together mid February, and um, yeah, and that's obviously kind of all all targets. And now you know what we can what we can do and, and take forward into the you know into the sweet game and um, you know and we showed that we can we can put it up against them as well so you know it's it's still a game that that can potentially have points for us there 
Sounds good, Louise. So you are on hand today to launch the SPAR FAI Primary Fives, Primary School Fives programme. And it is... Um, so at the FEI's headquarters in Sport Ireland, you provided a coaching masterclass to a number of students who will be participating in the National Five Aside programme. And, you know, I was talking about visibility. And when I saw this, Louise, I sent it on to a few of the other mams in my kids' school. And I'm going to email the principal tomorrow and be like, what's the story? How do my kids get involved in this? Um, it sounds great. Yeah, honestly, it was, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And it's these things are, you know, right up my street just to get more kids involved and, and kind of same as you I have a lot of um, a lot of friends that are primary school teachers and you know it's literally going to be the first thing I send on to them and I think you know they'll be they'll be thrilled with it I even have a few of them that have already asked me to take their PE classes so <laughs> the fact that I can you know pass this on and do it but it's, it's just been such a huge success and you know for me five aside at any level even you know if you're young or if you're you know that bit older it is just some of the best football that you can play and enjoy and it's completely inclusive. But kind of, you know, it almost doesn't matter what level you're at. You're, you know, you're included on that pitch, and it's you're, you know, you're important, a very important piece of a five-a-side team. And you know, that's exactly what we want to do in the spare fives. And and I think as well, it's, you know, so last year they did. Unfortunately, you have to cancel it, but they actually, you know, made it made it then online and made, um, you know, kind of like some football education um, about it and just even the history of football and. And stuff like that, and then you know that shows a dif- different aspect. Maybe maybe you don't feel so confident on the pitch, but you you know you you want to learn about it, or you know you already know so much about it, and you get to kind of flourish in that way. Um, but you know what what's also been great for me is that there's there there's fifty percent participation from girls as well, so it's split down the middle, um, and that's just you know that's music to my ears. That's I love hearing that that you know that girls are are wanting to get involved in this as well, and. You know, that's for me. That's five aside brings that, um, and you know, really emphasizes, you know, inclusivity and 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 just just fun, great crack. It's so true because when you think about like kind of those first few times when you were playing with the boys, it was often in school when it was at lunchtime and the ball was thrown in, and it didn't matter if you were a boy or a girl if you wanted to play, mm-hmm. away you went. Yeah, that's that's literally exactly how I remember it. Just make sure you're there in the. You know, that corner exactly. of the playground as soon as break is on and then that's it. Just splitches in half. You don't even sometimes you don't even go and pick teams, you just split the group in half and just go and play. You may only have ten minutes, but it was um you know, that's that's exactly how I remember it as well. So you know, and, and it's even something that I feel like even when I'm finished, the one thing that I'll be doing to keep fit is playing five aside as well. So, you know, you can be you can be five or you can be fifty and and be playing five aside. So Paul Corey is here in studio with me and he's laughing away here. You can be five, you can be 50, you can be a little bit injured as well, Paul. Yeah, I was here last week and I think I said I was going to play five aside and I actually came out of it thinking never again. I, just, I got frustrated and I woke up the next day, Louise, and the body wasn't uh, wasn't best pleased at me, particularly the left knee. But uh, I think I probably feel a little like 50 at this moment in time. <laughs> See, it, it does. It has, has, has every, every aspect of the game, to be honest. 
It does. So, Shane, you know, hopefully the kid then coming out of a feeling 50. <laughs> but, um, Shane Dawson is here as well, but you're still playing 11 aside, I think, Shane, are you? I am, but at a much lower level than Paul Curry <laughs> or, or Louise Quinn ever played. I, I, I feel like a fraud here if I was to <laughs> try and comment see, on my uh, footballing ability. You didn't see what I was playing with last week. <laughs> I actually do get great stories from Paul's five aside now over the, the last few months. Anyway, Louise Quinn, we will let you go. Thank you so much for that. And if anybody wants to check it out, www.fai.ie forward slash spar primary school school fives and you will find it all on the FAI website as well thanks Louise lovely thank you Marie talk thanks to you soon bye bye game on to FM with Green Farm your rise and grind isn't real our protein is get real game on on to FM now, welcome back to Game On with me, Marie Crow. I am in studio with RT Sports' Shane Dawson and also Paul Curry, former professional footballer and now expert in five-a-side. He has been regaling us with his <laughs> stories and the conclusion of his uh, five-a-side uh, story is that if you're a goalkeeper, if you have a good goalkeeper, you'll win. It's simple as that. Yeah, well, some of the goals are so small. I mean, the game that I was playing last week, they went 1-2-0 and up and then they just parked the bus in front of the goal. They had about six fellas blocking and a good goalkeeper and it's just impossible to break down. So that is probably the end of my competitive five-a-side career anyway, Marie. The, the social games I'm happy enough to play, but the competitive ones, no, it's not for me. I don't miss it. Yeah, I, th- I think Marie, just just to inform our listeners, our, our off-air conversation there, I think to, to surmise it really is that Five Side isn't for everyone. <laughs> that's the take-home message here, Paul. And also Paul likes to make judgments of the players before they've even kicked a ball, depending on what shorts they're wearing, um, how they look, all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, well, look, it was a nice career while it lasted. Let's move on to another sore topic, Paul, which is Chelsea. Mm. <laughs> um, so last night, drawn with Brighton, there was a time not so long ago when... Um, we all thought that Chelsea were going to challenge for the Premier League, that they were going to be up there uh, right at the top alongside Man City and Liverpool. But now we are starting to wonder if they're going to be able to challenge for the top four at this stage. Yeah, it's... it's I guess the wheels have somewhat fallen off over the last number of weeks and that they now find themselves 12 points behind City and there's probably a number of reasons for that Marie and um, you know it's just looking at some of the fixtures and, and results they've had over the last number of weeks and you could probably put it into maybe two or three points I think first and foremost they're missing some key personnel and I think the two players that you would pick out of that is Ben Chilwell and Reese James and they're so influential in what Chelsea do you look at Man City Cancelo and Walker you look at Liverpool Robertson and Trent fullbacks are having like an even more uh, effect on the way teams play they almost control games and Chelsea are missing those two players they played last night and they played the weekend with Alonso and Azpilicueta and they haven't got the same energy they haven't got the same legs they don't have the same contribution in the final third and what that enables teams to do is almost squeeze high up the pitch when they're playing against Chelsea and they have the ball because they have no legs to get in behind uh, and opposition's back four Lukaku wants it to feet Hudson-Odoi wants it to feet and Ziyech wants it to feet so it's, they're finding it hard to get in behind teams and their game then becomes predictable and you look last night they're not really creating chances they don't look like scoring goals in the final third and the players particularly in those positions are suffering you know Lukaku Ziyech albeit he scored last night and Hudson-Odoi they didn't really create much then on the flip side of things you hear Luis Quinn talking about in both boxes they're conceding more goals you know at the beginning of the season and, and at the tail end of last year in the Champions League run it was 
all about Thomas Tuchel and the clean sheets that they were keeping. The first 10, ten Premier League games this season, seven clean sheets. The last 10, only one. So, you know, they're not scoring enough goals in the final third and then they're leaking them at, at the other end. And that put all together with the combination of the fatigue. You heard Bernard talking about in rugby, previewing a game, playing a game, reviewing recovering Chelsea have had a number of fixtures and just seems to have come thick and fast when players are not in form and they've just found themselves too far off Man City now Well Thomas Tuchel was asked about their form after the match last night and this is what he had to say I can even feel it myself I mean at some point you sit in the bus and you don't know where you're going and you need to refocus five seconds where, where we're going and, and when are we there and which time we play and when is the next meeting and it's it's like this it's uh, since since November now we are the team that, that plays and plays and plays and plays and, and you can feel it of course so they're tired and we get that and I know I have actually spoke to you about this before as well Paul so they have every single bit of sports science at their fingertips that they could possibly need they have a decent squad as well they're professional footballers like should be should they be that fatigued in the middle of the season that they're not able to come close to um, their potential Mm, it's a good question Marian I think when you look at the top sides and, and the, the players that are in those squads, the majority of them would have gone deep in international competition, so they might not have had a, a major recovery off the back of last summer's tournaments and they've gone straight into another season. They've had COVID cases, they've probably had a limited number of those players to choose from, but I think away from the sports science and away from the statistics around it, just that mental fatigue of having to keep going and going and going, particularly when Man City are going so well, the gap opens up, you kind of feel as if the chase is getting away from you and performances naturally drop off. So yes, there is the the aspect that they have the best around them, but when you have that many fixtures to play and you've got, I know, a big squad, but still a limited squad to choose from with injuries and COVID, it does take its toll. That's interesting you mentioned that, Paul, and it's, it's something I always find fascinating, kind of the sports science aspect of it as well. And I think Thomas Ducal's given the players a couple of days off now, and Kepa was, was doing the media and he was speaking about, yes, it's a big squad, but they have a League Cup, they have a Club World Cup, so they're kind of stretching that regard as well. And there's a lot to take in. But from a professional footballer's viewpoint, and even recently, is it more prevalent now that there's so much to take in? You mentioned mm. you reviewing and previewing matches like that. Like, when you boil it all down, you think, oh, sure, you're only going out to play a game of football. But it's not mm. that. There's so much work done off the pitch now. And can it be overbearing? Can it be too much, perhaps? I think so. Um, listen, at the, the levels that the game are at today, you have to be previewing oppositions. You look at the depths of what teams are going into, into fixtures and the level of information that players are expected to take on in regards to how we're going to set up with the ball and how we're going to set up without the ball. That is, you know, people probably stray away from how much information that these players are having to take on. That can take its toll on you mentally. And then also from a physical point of view, Shane, like, I remember, and anybody who's played the game will tell you, you don't sleep the night after a game. You know, whether you play at 3 p.m., 5 p.m., or 7 p.m., your head is buzzing, your, your body is still awake, and you just cannot sleep. So you're already looking at a 48 hour turnaround between fixtures, and that's one from a physical point of view, and then trying to review your performance from the night before, and then previewing the, the next game. So that is mentally, physically, emotionally taxing on your body. I just find it very hard to kind of have that same sort of empathy and sympathy because you would just think that again just the level of staff they had that they can filter the information that they need to give to players so that if they know a player is being overloaded with things that they're able to to tell what information they need to give them you know they're monitoring everything they're monitoring sleep recovery uh, food water like every single Mm. thing that they do that trying to just 
relate this poor run of form to fatigue is almost a bit of a cop-out because you have to look at what the manager is doing as well. Like, it can't just all be on this group of players being a little bit wrecked. Like, it has to be, it has to come from what Tuchel is doing as well and if he's doing the right things with them. Yeah, and the players have to take responsibility. Absolutely, Maria. I don't disagree with you there. Um, you know, if Chelsea were winning games and they were on a on a string of form, you wouldn't be turning around and saying the players are tired. I think it's it's a natural reaction when results start to dip, and and players can probably use that as a bit of an excuse. If you analyse individual performances and then the team performance overall, they're not doing well enough. And Tuchel, of course, will take some responsibility for that, but the players cannot shy away from it. Also, I do not feel any bit of sympathy for these guys and I don't think they would either like they're paid massive amount of money it's just the top end of the game and if you look at things in the overall grand scheme of the Premier League take Man City out of it who are just a freak at this moment in time they're a beast that nobody else is able to seem to be able to keep up with albeit Liverpool their game in hand can maybe get a touch closer Chelsea are still in that top three with Liverpool and Man City. They're in the final D of the Carling Cup. They're in, still in the FA Cup. They're in the last 16 of the Champions League. Who's to say that they won't pick up again and go deep in that competition? So, yes, they're in They're in probably a rut at the moment. They they seem to be struggling a bit. Uh, a little break for the players and the change of scenery for the, the Club World Cup might help. And maybe they just need something to, to kickstart them again. But it's not been a terrible season. I know they're in a, a patch of bad form, but it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, I don't think we can be too sympathetic as well, considering they've about 100 players out on loan. <laughs> I mean, you look at Leeds, they're playing with kids, Burnley, you know, it, this rearranging fixtures and everything is affecting everybody. Yeah, it is. And Chelsea, Chelsea, you know, can't shy away from that. They've got a massive squad. They've invested heavily in that squad. And some players, like Timo Werner has, has, has not produced since he's gone in there. You could ask questions about Havertz, 100 million Lukaku. There are definitely question marks, particularly in that final third of players who are not producing. And you, you mentioned it there, Shane. They have a, a truckload of players out in loan that they could have utilised. Conor Gallagher has gone to Crystal Palace. He's been given opportunities, scoring goals. Why was he not kept? You know, it's brilliant for him to benefit from, from games. But, you know, they did make decisions about the squad and they've put their fate in, you know, a core group of 16, 17, 18. And some of them just have not produced. But you know what, on a very positive note, the fact that they're having this little blip, it does make the battle for the top four quite interesting now. And when, you know, the top two, as I'm calling it now, isn't as interesting, <laughs> it is good that we will have this little battle. Um, Spurs are in action against Leicester tonight. And in fairness, Shane, they've just been kind of going about their business. We haven't been talking about them too much, really, but they're getting stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to be knocking on the door of, of Chelsea and, and West Ham, so it could be a bit of a, a London battle there. Um, they are in action tonight, and, and there is team news in from, from that match. So it's Leicester Spurs kicking off a half, half seven, I should say. Leicester uh, playing their first Premier League game of the calendar year, make five changes from the side that beat Watford 4-1 in the third round of the FA Cup. Kasper Schmeichel, Soyuncu, uh, Dewsbury Hall, Luke Thomas and Patson Daka all return to the starting eleven, while defender James Justin is on the bench for the first time since suffering a, a serious knee injury. Uh, about 11 months ago so it's great to see him back from a Spurs point of view then three changes uh, from the Tottenham team that played last against Chelsea uh, in a match they lost 1-0 in the League Cup Hugo Lloris replaces Galena in goal uh, bad news uh, from an Irish perspective Matt Doherty drops down to the bench uh, Sergio Reguilon uh, comes in he was about 50-50 beforehand so I think from an Irish uh, point of view we're hoping he might be on the bench and, and Matt might get another chance uh, and their third change is Oliver Skip coming in for a Giovanni Locelso. No sun though for, for Spurs, which is bad news considering Tottenham have only earned five points from their past seven league games without sun playing. Mm. 
And we also have another game as well. Manchester United and Brentford's on 8 o'clock though. So you probably don't have any team news on that for us yet, do you? No, not at the moment. Um, n- nothing live in terms of starting 11. Brentford's still missing six players due to injury uh, and international duty. United... Uh, Good news in terms of Ronaldo, Marcus Rashford have both returned to training. Paul Pogba is still unavailable. And one stat for you, Marie, for, for the stats Anorex out there, Man United can become the second team after Liverpool to score a goal in every stadium to have featured in the Premier League. That is a pretty decent stat, to be fair. Uh, Paul, have you been watching much of the African Cup of Nations? Yeah, bits and pieces when when I've been able to. It's uh, it's certainly been eventful, Marie. From refereeing decisions to, to boring games to exciting games, it's had a bit of everything. And a bit of Irish interest as well. Shane, what is the latest on uh, on Cape Verde and also just the uh, the competition in general? Who's doing well? Yeah, so basically, obviously, from an Irish point of view, uh, Pico Lopez over at Cape Verde got man of the match against Cameroon. Uh, they came back to draw one all with them. And the way the third-placed rankings of teams go, we still have to wait a couple of days until all the group uh, matches are played. But at the moment, they're the number one-ranked third-place team uh, with four points. So we should see Cape Verde and Roberto Lopez in the knockout stages uh, of the competition. Um, in terms of what are possible third-place teams, obviously, the big news yesterday, Comoros against uh, uh, Ghana unbelievable stuff unbelievable stuff so I love your enthusiasm oh, yes. I'm, all, I'm all for it I've been a big fan of the AFCON for many years Marie <laughs> now listen the caveat to this is Ghana don't have your Michael Essians your Sammy Kufors uh, your, your Tony Yaboas but they still have an extremely extremely strong side uh, and they lost to Comoros uh, 3-2 and you know it's, it's a real feel good story as well and I was just loving some of the quotes coming out because you know all these managers giving you real stagnant post-match uh, interviews and whatnot. the uh, the Comoros coach Amir Abdu said I believed we would win I believed we could uh, achieve a famous victory for our nation I sent on attacking players in the belief that we could score a third goal and my decision paid off so oh, I'm I loving that <laughs> brilliant but no it is it's it's it's, it's uh, really good um, there's a couple of matches on uh, this evening Guinea-Bissau are facing Nigeria and Mo Salah and Egypt go off against uh, Sudan I watched Egypt the other night and they were very very under par so um, they mightn't qualify they should they should qualify um, but there's still a lot to play for there so yeah a bit of entertainment the matches uh, as Paul kind of alluded there haven't been um, breathtaking throughout but there certainly are a couple of feel good stories it's a different style of football in a way isn't it uh, you know it, it doesn't seem to to possess the same sort of build-up play that we're used to seeing in the Premier League and European football, so it's it's certainly a different watch. Especially when you're, you know, you do have someone like Salah in there, and you're expecting something like you would see watching Liverpool, and you don't get anything next or near it. All right, but disappointment does set in. Just on um, Roberto Lopez, there have been a, a few Shamrock Rovers fans on Twitter a little bit nervous that he is winning Man of the Match accolades on a very big stage, mm. and uh, a little bit nervous that he is now in the shop window and. I mean, who knows what could happen? Yeah, I had this conversation yesterday, Maria. I was, I was thinking the same thing. Would you be at all surprised if they were to go on and, and maybe win their round of 16 game or play one of the big countries again? Like he did really well against Bubakar of, of Cameroon, who's played for Porto in the European leagues. If he was to come up against an Algeria or a Mo Salah and have a good game, who's to say that they wouldn't take a... Some team wouldn't take a shot of him maybe in, in Europe or in Africa. But, um, you know, let, let's let's focus on Pico and his performances and hopefully see he, him go far and not be too worried about losing him. Right, guys, thank you so much for coming in to studio. That is all we have time for this evening. We'll be back tomorrow and we will be continuing our build-up to all of the rugby. We'll also be looking back at that crazy weekend of NFL action and a whole lot more. Tara Kumar is up next. Game on on 2FM with 
Green Farm. Wise and Grind and the Hustle Mindset aren't real. The protein in our chicken is. Get real. 